0: Presbyterian, good to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, Worthy is the lamb who was slain. We, we sing this morning in response to who he is and what he has done. And so this morning we focus our attention and our our hearts on on the lamb who was slain for us. We serve a good God who didn't send us out into the battlefield uh, to fight, but he went out in the battlefield and died for us. And so that's what we're here for this morning, to bring worship and attention and glory to him. Uh, I just want to bring our attention also to just some things we can be praying for. Uh, Just want to continue to lift up all of the educators and parents, teachers, administrators and everyone who is having to make a significant change uh, during this season and make adjustments. And so we want to continue to lift up parents and educators and administrators during this time. Uh, Also, we just want to continue to pray for the drawn family and uh, just continue to lift them up as well. And then also, we have a transition. Uh, Stephen will be transitioning to, to Ohio to uh, take a new job. And so uh, we just want to specifically pray for you in that transition this morning. You're on the, on the base. Otherwise, I would uh, tell you to come down, but you got a job this morning. But <laughs> we're, we're praying for you in that transition and your church family is, is here with you as you guys make that transition up to Ohio and praise God for the new job amen amen and so uh let's go before our king and pray this morning Uh, father god uh, we come to you in your mighty son's jesus name thanking you for this opportunity to worship you uh, to gather with your people be it in person or online god it is an honor to know who you are that you have opened our eyes and allowed us to see your beauty because we didn't always see you as good or always see you as beautiful And I praise you that we're able to see you as that this morning, Father God, and I pray that your spirit would just fill this place and that your people would experience you in a a rich and intimate way, that they would know you and know you as God, and know you as king and know you as savior, and that you would give them the words to, to sing back to you. Father God, we lift up our educators here in the Memphis area, Germantown in the Memphis metro area, Father God, that you would be with them, calm nerves, give the provision that they need to be who you've called them to be in this season, be it in person or online, Father God. I pray that you would meet them where they are for the for the, the teachers who have been doing this for a long time, and for the new teachers, God, I just pray that you would be there with them at this time and for parents who are stepping into new Homeschooling and uh, juggling work, God, it can be—it can be a lot for us as human beings. But it's not too much. For you. And I pray that you pour out just your Spirit on your people, that they would be uh, just filled up and, 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 and equipped to do what you're calling them to do in this season uh, in their homes. Uh, we continue to lift up the drawn family and the, and the health uh, challenges that they face. Uh, we thank you. Uh, for what you've done already, but we we'll just pray your hand over, over that on that particular family here at Faith and Presbyterian. And also, we just want to lift up Stephen right, and his family as they as they transition to Ohio. And God, we just pray your blessing over that transition, that you would fill in the gaps and the spaces if there are any. But it would be uh, that they would experience your love and your grace at this time. That they would know that they're heading in the right direction they go, and so you're there in Ohio with them as well. And I pray that they would experience that, feel that, find a church, home, and a community of believers that would be a support to them at this time. Also, God, we thank you and we love you, and it's your mighty Son, Jesus, Jesus, name We pray. Amen. 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 He is good. Our God is good. We can we can bank on that if we can't bank on anything else. In this world where everything is unclear and uncertain at times we can bank on the character of God and who he is and for sure he is good if you have your Bibles meet me in Exodus chapter 16 verses 1 through 7 this is Exodus chapter 16 verses 1 through 7 We're in the series Church in the Wilderness where we're looking at the Israelites journey through the wilderness as God has brought them out of Egypt and is now taking them through the wilderness. There will be a lot of tests and some of those tests we can even relate to at this time as a church and as a world, as we're going through a wilderness of our own of some sorts. And just as always, I like to say that this is a very familiar passage, but I pray that God would speak to us in a fresh way. So we've probably have heard this, especially if we grew up in church. We might have heard this when we were way little, Uh, but I pray that God would speak to us in a fresh way this morning. And I will read beginning in uh, verse one. It says, they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people Of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day, on the second of the month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate the bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then they said to Moses, behold, I'm about, then then the Lord said to Moses, my apologies, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily so moses and aaron said to the people of israel at the evening you shall know that it was the lord who brought you out of the land of egypt and in the morning you shall see the glory of the lord because he has heard your grumbling against the lord For what we what are we that you grumble against us let's go before our lord in prayer father god we come to you in your mighty son's jesus name father god thanking you for your goodness we We sang of your goodness this morning, God, and that is who you are, you are good, you are a good, good Father. I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of that you would speak to your people through your word, Father God, I pray that you would show us something fresh and appropriate for this time, even though we might have heard this before. Father God, your word never returns void. And I pray that that would be true today. It's in your mighty son's Jesus name that we pray. Amen. In the spring of 2001, when I was in the seventh grade, I tried out for the middle school baseball team at Lanier Junior High. It was a junior high and I had never played baseball before, so I had to go get a new baseball glove. And so I went and got my new baseball glove. And some of you guys might know this, but I didn't know it at the time. That glove was very tough and it was inflexible and it was rigid and I thought that I might have had a defective glove I thought that something was wrong with my glove it's like it's not it's not like the guys on TV when they catch the baseball it's not soft and flexible so I took it to my father who actually played baseball in college he was he was a catcher and he said nothing is wrong with the glove this is just what happens when you get a glove all gloves have to be broken in gloves don't come prepared for service all gloves have to be broken in And, and they have to go through a process of softening where they no longer offer offer any kind of resistance to the owner's hand and so this process is very thorough. You take the glove, you apply oil to the glove leather, you firmly press into the gloves, rigid areas that don't want to move. Uh, some people soften the glove with a wood mallet. They even beat against the, the rigid and stiff areas of the glove. And then you take the glove and you uh, wrap it in rubber bands to get the shape how you want it. And then you actually go out and play catch with the glove to finally soften and stop stop the glove from resisting the owner's direction and will. God often takes people through a very similar process where he brings us to a place of weakness and dependence. He often has to break our wills so that we can yield to his perfect will. Our rigid and inflexible areas must be softened so that we, we can more willingly follow the will of the Holy Spirit and God in us. And in this, we see a picture of beauty and weakness, a weakness that is content with the master having control of our lives, all of our lives, where we see our weakness and dependence as an opportunity for the Lord to have his way in our lives, which leads us to our, fir- our first point today. The wilderness reveals and challenges our tendency to live independently of God. The wilderness reveals and even challenges our tendency to live independently of God. And we're going to see this in our text. As we come to our text, we see the Israelites being brought to a place of weakness and dependence upon God. It has been 30 days since they have left Israel. Egypt. And so they packed the lunch, they packed food, and now the food is running out. And because the food is running out, they're getting worried, they're, they're getting nervous, they have, a, they have children with rumbling bellies, and now they also have hot tempers, and they're taking all of their agitation and their fear and their anger out on God's, God's leaders, Moses and Aaron. They're having to depend on God for His provision in a new way uh, this wilderness period will prove to be a multi-layered crisis something that we can relate to these days this wilderness period is actually a multi-layered crisis here's how they will have a uh, they will face a water shortage so they're going to face a water shortage a shortage of water where they're going to look around in the middle of the desert and see desert in front of them and 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 the the red sea far behind them at this point and they're out in the middle of nowhere as far as they know and so they're going to come to a water shortage so that's to happen. Uh, right now, they're experiencing this food shortage. That's a part of the crisis that they encounter. Uh, they're going to have military battles that they're going to have to face. And then on top of that, they're going to deal with a leadership transition because eventually Moses is not going to be with them. And so they're facing this multi-layered crisis, but this is also going to prove to be a, a place of fertile ground for spiritual formation in the life of of the Israelites. God is going to use it as a training ground of some sort to prepare them, to mature them, to nurture their faith, to grow their awareness of who God is. Let's continue in verse 2. It says, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This is a word that if you look it up in the Hebrew, grumble means grumble. It means grumble. It's very simple. They complained. They were grumbling. They were unhappy with God and unhappy with his leaders. And it says the whole congregation grumbled. Most people, most scholars would say that there were 2 million israelites as a part of this exodus journey and so just to give you an idea of what two million people looks like the memphis metro area is about one million people a little bit more than one million people so so double memphis and you have that many people grumbling and upset and wanting to kill you if you are moses this is not a good feeling continuing in verse 3 it says and the people of israel said to them with that we had died by the hand of the lord in the land of egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger are they still talking about egypt they are still talking about egypt yes they are still talking about egypt god has parted the red sea he has conquered the Egyptian army by this point. He, he has conquered and defeated Pharaoh. And God has moved in all of these miraculous ways, but they're still talking about Egypt. See, God had gotten them out of Egypt, but now God is getting Egypt out of them. And that's going to be a process. This is their sanctification process in which God is weaning them off of dependence of their idols and bringing them into a life of dependence upon God himself. This is essentially an addiction detox in some ways. When a person is detoxing from any kind of addictive substance, there is an intense withdrawal period. A period in which there are violent cravings and aches in which their memory is just jogging back and remembering what they used to take in themselves. And and, and there's a a deep period of hurt and pain in which it's very hard to let go of that former substance. And the the Israelites are going through a withdrawal period at this time, and they are not just hungry for food. That's that's not what this is all about. They are craving an old lifestyle and an old system and the way that things used to go. They had become dependent on that system in Egypt. And though that system wasn't healthy, that system was destructive, God loves them too much to leave them in Egypt. So God is cleansing them and and crushing this dependence on those idols. They will learn to depend on him now as opposed to that former lifestyle, that former system in Egypt. And I believe that the Israelites had seen enough of God's power to know that God was powerful enough to feed them or provide for them. They watched what he did in Egypt. They watched him part the Red Sea. So I don't think this is a question of whether or not God is able To provide for them. This is more so a question of God's motives and a question of God's goodness. Is God good? Does he really care? Or has he brought us out into the wilderness to die to kill him? They don't trust his motives. They don't trust his heart just yet. This is similar to Eve and the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted her and and, and said, God really is holding out on you. God doesn't want you to be like him. It's, it's, It's a temptation to distrust the goodness and the character of God. How does a good God bring you into the wilderness like this, Israel? And so they're wrestling with that. And similarly, we might say, how does a good God allow a virus to shift the way that we have to do church all together? How does a good God allow that to happen? Uh, How does he allow schools to close? How does he allow the the economy to be staggered and to take lives around the globe? And, and And I'll sit here and be honest and say I don't know. I couldn't answer all of that for you. But what we know for a fact In the scriptures, it says that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And history even tells us that quite often we are the ones that need to check our motives, not him. History would tell us that time and time again, he is wise and faithful and good. And though it may not make sense in the moment and when we look back and play back the stories of our own lives and even the story of history, the directions and the plans of God have proven to be wise and faithful and good. He, he, has, a, he has a good, he's, he's beyond having a good heart. He is good. His heart for us is good. His ways are good and we can trust him. And here's the reality. We've always had to depend on God. It has always been him. It's just a little more obvious in a crisis. It's always been him. He's always been the source of all of the good in our lives. It's just a little bit more obvious in a crisis and in difficult times. And that's what the Israelites are seeing. And that's what we're seeing as well, which leads us to our next point. God, not man, is the ultimate source of our provision. God, not man. is the ultimate source of our provision. Continuing in verse four, it says that the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. In one of the most obvious displays of God's provision in the Bible, he rains down literal, physical bread from heaven this is a remarkable act of grace because the israelites hadn't done anything to earn that bread it isn't as if they were just so well behaved that god is saying i'm going to pour out this bread on you because you've been so good they hadn't worked for it they hadn't uh, clocked in and and put in the hours to earn this bread per se but this is an, uh, an amazing remarkable act of god's grace and his kindness towards his people and he's doing this On their behalf what good parent would see their child hungry and not provide food for them right what good parent would would, would see their child needing food and not provide the food necessary for them even if the kids are complaining a little bit right we still would we still would provide the meal even if they were complaining about it even even if they were disobedient so why would we expect anything different from our God we are not more loving than our God. We, we are not more caring than him, more thoughtful than him. Uh, Matthew 7, 11 says it this way. It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give things to those who ask him? In the wilderness, we might be tempted to doubt God's motives because we're uncomfortable with the direction or the circumstance or the scenario. We ask questions and say things such as, God, if you really cared, you would fill in the blank. God, if you really cared, I would have that internship, that relationship, that job, that business fill in the blank. God, if you were really good, then I wouldn't have to live in, the, live in this house, remain in this marriage, follow these rules. And we can tend to put God on trial, probably not publicly, but definitely internally. And I'm not saying, though, that we can't process internally or maybe even verbally what we're feeling if you look at the psalms you see david he's processing quite a bit about what he's feeling and what he's going through so that's not what i'm saying god wants us to to come to him but at the end of the day at the end of the day after we have grumbled and complained or maybe just processed god is still the ultimate source of our provision he is still the one that we have to go to and he he longs to do this. We don't have to beg him or fight him. He longs to be our source and our provider. He longs for us to look to him in this way. And we can't truly know him as provider if we've never had to need him as provider. We won't know that aspect of his character. If we haven't felt our need for him in this way and he wants us to know him in this way so that we're not running to other things that will only disappoint us. In the first place, God, not man, is the ultimate source of our provision. And over time, he nurtures our faith and he matures us by taking us through the wilderness. And it becomes a very sweet thing after a while. It becomes just a walk with him. It's just walking with him. It's a walk with God after a while, walking through the wilderness Walking through uh even the mountain peaks of life at time, walking through the sunny days, but it becomes this it becomes this walk walking through the storm, and we begin to know him in such a way that it is it is almost just uh it's just count it's it's just what we expect It is nothing that we are even worried about as much. We become to expect him as our provider and as our source, and it becomes a walk just a walk with him one songwriter calls it a divine romance he puts it that way in which we just learn to walk with God as he provides for us and he is and he is our source so how does God provide how does this actually practically happen in our lives one way Is through our work, through the work of our hands. He actually provides that way through the work of our hands. Um, And and we see here that the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. And so they had a part of this where they would actually go out and grab enough of the manna for their household and there was some actual work of their hands involved with this. So God provides through your work, uh, the actual work of your hands, your job. God gave you the energy to do the work. The mind to do the work. He he provides the opportunities, the open door, the internship, uh, the education, the person who taught you, that spot in the program. Right? And he he provides these things so he can provide for us through the work of our hands. He also provides for us through other people. He provides through parents, Friends, co-workers, fellow followers of Christ, right? Unexpected people, like in the story of the Good Samaritan, God uses other people. If we are willing to allow other people to step into our story in that way, God uses other people as vessels of provision. Also, God provides holistically, not just financially. He provides holistically, not just financially. There are things that we need that quite often we don't even know that we need such things. But God still meets us and provides for us in these ways. He provides things such as wisdom. Sometimes we need wisdom and God providentially gives wisdom. He provides encouraging words. I don't know how many people have experienced that phone call or that text message right when you needed it. I know that I have. And God providentially will send the right person at the right time to speak encouragement into your life. God provides people. In this story in particular, Uh, Whether they see it as a value or not, God has provided leadership for the Israelites. And so Moses and Aaron were actually a vessel of God's provision. And so God provides people. Uh, Also, this is one that I love. God provides rest. He provides rest. And we see this here in verse five. It says on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather Daily, They were po- they were supposed to g- uh, gather twice as much on that sixth day because on the seventh day they would rest. God has provided rest for them after living as slaves in Egypt all of those years and never getting rest, never getting a day off. Now, this great God has provided rest. He has made provisions for them to take a day off. And he does the same thing for us. He makes provision for rest. And sometimes if we don't want to sit down, he will sit sit us down and make us sit down so that we can experience some rest. And so God provides holistically. It's not just money or or that type of thing. God knows exactly what we need, even the stuff that we don't even know that we need. So God is the ultimate source of our provision. He provides holistically, which leads us to our final point. Jesus is the bread of life who sustains and nourishes his people. Jesus is the bread of life who sustains and nourishes his people. God provided literal bread from heaven, literal physical bread to fill the hungering bellies of the Israelites. But Jesus is the bread of life who answers the hunger of our souls. He is the bread of life who answers the hunger of our souls. I have felt physical hunger in my life where I've needed food but I've also felt that need for God to fill that deeper hunger in my soul and I'm telling you that hunger of the soul can gnaw at you and be even stronger than the, the physical hunger of the belly at times we, 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 we long for him to fill us and meet us in this way and he does when we feel that deeper hunger for things such as love, He meets us there in our souls. That the hunger for security, the hunger for peace, the hunger for justice, the hunger for hope, the hunger for eternity. Jesus is the bread of life. He who, who fills that void and satisf- satisfies that hunger. It has been said that there is a God shaped whole in each and every one of our hearts and only God himself can can fill that void. Saint Augustine said it this way he said Lord our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. The tossing and turning of the soul will not stop until we rest and full dependence upon the Savior. It's like trying to fall asleep on an uncomfortable bed when we try to find rest in other things other than God himself. One uncomfortable bed may represent money. And so we try to rest on that bed. And you can't really get comfortable on that bed called money because some people say more money, more problems. Right, You have to think about it more. You have to, you know, it goes up and down. The stock market goes up and down. Money comes and goes. We get jobs, lose jobs. So we can't really find complete rest on that bed called money because it can go up and down another bed called success we can't really fall asleep on that bed either because a lot of times that kind of success can come and go and there's always going to be someone more successful than you and how do we even really define and measure success in the in the first place and that doesn't really satisfy either if we try to find a rest In that bed or maybe the the bed called romance and we try to rest in that bed and we can't really find rest there either because if you try to make another human being the source of your security and hope you will drive them insane and you will drive yourself insane as well only Christ himself can provide the rest that we need our hearts are restless until they find rest in him and he wants to provide such a rest for us years later In the New Testament, we see that the people of God are still grumbling and distrusting the provision of God, even as we go towards the New Testament many years ahead. God had provided a Savior in Jesus Christ. He had provided His Messiah in Jesus Christ, and that Messiah still was not enough at at that moment. I want to read John chapter 6 for us, just to give us a picture into the future after the Israelites had, had gotten past the wilderness. This is New Testament. John chapter 6, verse 41, it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Here goes that word again, grumbling. And it was Hebrew in the last, uh, uh, in the Old Testament, now is New Testament, and it still means grumble. Still the same thing. They're, they're grumbling again. And so the bread came down from heaven. And in verse 42, it said, they said, Is this not the Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know how does he now say I have come down from heaven Jesus answered do not grumble among yourselves this is sounding very familiar picking up in verse 47 he says truly I say to you whoever believes has eternal life I am the bread of life your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus provisionally gave his body meeting our greatest need, which is the need for salvation.